some of you guys know me. Like I said, my name is Ryan. Um, some of you guys only know me from teaching here. Like you've never really met me. Maybe I said hi to you on the way in. Um, but if that's you and you don't know me, say what's up afterwards. Like I'd love to meet, meet you guys and, and hang out with you guys. And if you want to go grab coffee or something like that, we would love for those opportunities just to kind of hang out and, and get to know you and where you're at and what's going on in your life. Um, but before we talk about marriage, I want to talk about myself for just a second because like marriage is one of those things where like not everybody's married. Not everybody has like the authority to talk about marriage. Um, so tonight I want to like focus on that a little bit. My name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, and my main focus at Ecclesia is youth. So I hang out with a lot of middle schoolers and a lot of high schoolers, people who are probably about as far from marriage as you can get, even though they seem to think about it a lot, which is kind of weird. I don't know if you guys thought about marriage a lot in high school, but we've got some of these high school boys and more so the high school boys and the high school girls who like get super sucked up in relationships and like, oh, I'm going to marry this girl. And it's like, you know, this girl for an hour and a half, you met her at the beginning of youth group. And how did you decide you were going to marry her before, before worship was over? Like, how did that happen? But we think about marriage a lot. I've been married for a little over three years to my best friend in the world, Rebecca. Uh, She's in the back sometimes. She's up here leading worship. Uh, We've been married, like I said, for a little over three years. We just bought a house, um, which is a crazy big, like, next step for us. It's been fun. Um, But, yeah, we haven't been married for super long. But I've been married longer than all of you guys in the room put together, except for Seth over there, our sound guy. Uh, So pay attention if you're not married because I know a little bit more about it than you do. I think, I hope. Um, Yeah, for most people, marriage is a goal of some sort. Maybe it's not immediate. Maybe like you're like, oh, marriage is down the road. Maybe you don't want to get married at all. More and more millennials have kind of pushed marriage back into their late 20s or even their 30s. Um, And like, you know, millennials kind of end at about like 38, 39. And some of them are still not married and they're just kind of waiting to get married. And as they're doing more and more research about Gen Z, that's probably most of you guys, they're kind of starting to see the same trends because when our parents and like boomers were kids, they were getting married at like 18, 19, 20, 21. And we're starting to see people getting married later and later and later. They're delaying that and some of these other milestones. It's not that they like don't want it, but maybe you just feel like you're not ready. Maybe you have your own reasons for not wanting to get married. But marriage is super cool. I love being married and I also love weddings. And you guys love going to weddings, Weddings are like super fun. Rebecca and I are actually wedding DJs on the side. So shameless plug, if you are thinking about getting married, hit me up. Great rates, even better service. Um, I'm, I'm serious though. Um, no, the last, um, the last wedding that we worked, um, it was crazy because the bride, she was, she was awesome. And I'm kind of going over songs for the ceremony. And I'm like, yeah, what song do you want to walk down the aisle to? She's like, there's this piano cover of the Jurassic Park song. And I'm like, no. And then she sends me a YouTube link and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is going to happen. This like jazz. And I was like this. All right. And the groom was totally cool with it. Now I'm convinced the groom was okay with it because she was way out of his league. She would, he would have said anything, yes to anything, like anything. And he'd have been like, yes, like, of course, let's, let's do it. And when I was like, what kind of stuff you guys want played at the reception? 
Now, for she was she's a little bit younger than me, and he's a little bit older than me. And a lot of people my age, you want the stuff that like we grew up listening to at like middle school dances, and like go back like old Backstreet Boys and NSYNC and some of that stuff. And she gives me two artists that she really wants to hear from: Britney Spears and Ludacris. And I'm like, this is gonna be awesome. This is gonna be the best wedding I've ever DJed, and it was so much fun. And not only was it fun, but it was like, it was this beautiful opportunity for two people to say that they love each other and not just say, I love you, but they stand before their friends and before their family. And there's a pastor or an officiant there who kind of gives his blessing over this covenant of marriage. It's not just a, I do, I do too, like, let's go hang out. But it's like, it's a bond. It's a promise And not just any promise, because how many, like most of us in here have probably broken a promise at some point, right? We break promises and maybe we don't like to admit that, but like we break promises, but we don't like having our promises with other people broken. Like if someone breaks a promise to us, we get like really, really upset by it, but still sometimes we break promises. And now there's, there's times where it's like for their own safety or for their own well-being, you need to break that promise. You need to not keep that confidence. You need to share it with somebody who, who can help them out. But sometimes we need to keep that confidence. We need to keep those promises. And that's exactly what marriage is. It is a promise between you and your spouse, whoever that person is, between you two and God, that it's going to perpetuate and it's going to bring him glory. That's, that's, That's how marriage looks from a biblical standpoint, okay? Actually, the idea of marriage was created by God, It's the idea of leaving your parents and connecting to your spouse. If you've got a Bible and you want to read along or if you're taking notes, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31. We just finished a series through the book of Ephesians on Sundays. um, And the podcast is currently down, but if you want to go check that out, hopefully in a couple weeks you'll be able to go check that out. Or if you missed um, Steve's teachings on sex last week and dating the week before that, those will be up soon in a couple weeks as well. Um, But in Ephesians chapter 5, Verse 31, it was written by this guy named Paul, and Paul quotes Genesis, which is the first book of the Bible. And Paul says, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. There's this understanding in a marriage of leaving your parents and and uniting with your spouse. And that is something that God says is good. Right? God says that is good. In, in our culture and in our society, it's really common for you to move out of your parents' house when you're 18 or 19. I moved out at 23 because it was free rent, and who doesn't want free rent? Am I right? Um, but even, even once you kind of reach that point of like 18 and you're a legal adult, like you kind of stop listening to your parents. But when you're 18 or 19 or 20 or 24 or 35 sometimes, who do you go to when you need money? Your parents. Who do you go to when you need advice? Your parents. Who do you go to when you like, man, I got this hard decision and here's what I think I'm going to do. And you're not necessarily looking for advice, but you're just kind of looking for your parents' blessing, like affirmation over that, right? There's this idea that before you are married, your parents have a very significant role in your life. And I'm not saying that once you get married, your parents should no longer have a significant role in your life. Like every, I'm from Louisiana, so I see my parents like once a year. Uh, I talk to my mom probably about once a week on the phone, and I text my dad probably once or twice a week, and I've got two brothers that I see 
about as often as I see my parents. But my wife's family, they live here in town. And we see them just about every single Saturday. We have dinner with them because, because family's important, right? We, can, we still have this connection to family, but it's not the same as it is as if you're living with them. Because once you get married, just like it says, you leave your parents, you leave your father and mother, and you hold fast to your wife or to your spouse, right? The influence that our parents have over us, for better or worse, before we get married is very significant. And in some ways, the influence that our parents have has over us helps shape our own view and understanding of marriage. Maybe some of us come from backgrounds where our parents were never married, or we come from backgrounds where our parents were divorced, and maybe we just got a bad taste in our mouth for marriage. Or maybe because of that, and I've seen this too, we don't trust someone to not leave. So we want to like, we're super eager to like jump all in head first into a relationship. And sometimes that's just come back to like to bite us in the butt. Right? It's, not, it's not helpful all the time. Um, our parents not only influence us in, in every aspect of our life, but they influence the way that we see marriage. And when we get married, we're leaving our parents. Have you guys ever thought about when you go to a wedding, to a ceremony, and there's a couple like dances that happen at like every single wedding ceremony, right? The first one is husband and wife. And then there's this father-daughter dance. This beautiful, like, and everybody cries, especially the bride and groom. Like, I've only done one wedding where the groom, or where the, the bride's dad didn't cry. And then, like, my own, because my father-in-law was like, oh, I'm never going to cry at all. Um, but this is, like, it's a super, like, emotional moment because this is the first time that he's dancing with his daughter after she is linked and connected to someone else. And then there's this mother-son dance. And I remember I cried at my own wedding when I was dancing with my mom. And she cried, and I was wearing a nice shirt. She had makeup all over it, and it's this thing. But this is beautiful picture of your parents kind of giving away the child. That's you guys in these dances. And also, like, in the ceremony, more often than not, especially in church weddings, and it's maybe becoming a little bit less popular, but as the, the bride's parents typically walk her down the aisle you get to the end and the officiant asks who gives this woman to be with this man and like the kind of scripted thing is like I do or her mother and I do it's it's these parents giving away their daughter into this relationship with someone else and when we get to that relationship, it's not just like, oh, like, I want to hang out with you for the rest of my life. It's deeper than that. I mean, like, you should hang out with your spouse, and you should have fun, and it should be somebody that you genuinely want to be around. But there is this, this level of provision, of taking care of someone. And, like, in every aspect, emotionally, spiritually, physically, sexually, intimately, like, there needs to be, like, this care, like really, like a husband is given to his wife emotionally and the same is true vice versa. There's this expectation that you're going to take care of each other's needs and emotions. My wife who, like, like a lot of people right now, deals and struggles at times with depression and anxiety. And I think we all probably know somebody, whether that's yourself or a family member, who struggles with depression and just kind of like, it's a battle, it's a constant battle. And when my wife is, is feeling just exhausted or depressed or, or sad or, or however you want to define it, as her husband, it is my responsibility to not just be like, hey, like, 
you need to get out of bed. You need to go do this. You need to go do that. But I need to be the one serving and providing and taking care of my wife. Because maybe she's in a place where like, and if you have ever experienced depression, you know it can be so hard to just get out of bed, right? I, as her husband, as the one that she is connected to, right, as the one that she's united with and a promise and a covenant, I need to be serving and loving my wife. Maybe I need to talk to her. Maybe I just need to listen. Maybe I need to, to help her get out of bed. Maybe I need to help clean. Maybe, maybe There's all sorts of things that could go into serving one spouse. But it's not just my responsibility to serve her, but it's also her responsibility to serve me. This is not a like, you know, you do it all and the other person gets to do nothing. This is a commitment to each other. And there's this expectation that we're going to take care of each other. And it's not just like she expects me to do this or I expect her to do this, but the expectation comes from, from the Bible as well. In Ephesians chapter four, maybe on the same page in your Bible, maybe a page back. If you're on your phone, just hit that back button. Ephesians chapter four, verses two and three says, with all humility, and humility is defined in scripture as, as thinking of others as more important than yourself. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. This is not a one person puts all the effort in the relationship and the other person doesn't, Right? How many of us dated in middle school where like maybe you really liked the person, maybe you weren't allowed to date, but maybe you really liked the person that you wanted to go out with and that person just liked the idea of having a boyfriend or girlfriend. You put all this effort into it and you borrow all this money from your parents because like you're in middle school, you don't have any money. So you want to go on a date and like you going on a date is you get your mom or your dad to give you 20 bucks to go to the movies to pay for her ticket like, I don't know if you guys have ever thought about that, but like you dating in middle school and most of high school is more of a burden on your parents than you. Like they're financially invested in this girl or this guy that you're going to date for three and a half weeks. Never thought about it that way, did you? Go apologize to your mom and dad tonight. Not right now. Listen to me. But when you're done with this, go home and be like, I am so sorry I dated so-and-so seven times and we went to the movies every single week. Like, there is this idea that you are connected with your spouse and you are serving them. Whether you are the man or the woman, the husband or the wife, you are supposed to be serving that other person. And it's not just the expectation from each other, but there's an expectation when a parent or parents give away their child into union. My wife's mom asks me all the time, how's Rebecca doing? How, how is she? Is she okay? Like, you know, how's, how's she liking her job? How's, how's she liking this? Are, are you guys at church? Are you guys serving? Are you guys doing this? She wants to know, not because she's, I mean, she's a little nosy. She probably won't listen to this. But she cares. Because whose responsibility is it to make sure that she's taken care of before we get married? It's the parent's. And at the moment that you say, I do, standing in front of family and friends and making a vow, a commitment before God, you are taking on this role of provision for your spouse. 
You are the one entering into this covenant saying, I will do everything I can for you. And sometimes that looks like denying yourself. It looks like saying no to things that you want or things that you want to do so that you can take care of this other person. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more here in a few minutes. But when you're connected, you are not only called to take care of each other's emotions, but there's this spiritual building, there's a spiritual bond that you're taking over for your spouse. You take care of them sexually. And Steve talked about sex last week. And, and I think we have this like very distorted view of sex in our culture because it's all about me. And Steve was like, don't talk too much about sex. But like when you talk about marriage, you're going to talk about sex a little bit. Sex is not about me. It is a selfless act of love. It is about caring for another person that you have entered into this covenant, this bond with. And that's not supposed to be easily broken. It's not supposed to just be like frivolous and, and whatever it is but there's a deep love and sincere respect for that person. And that's important. That's important because you have entered into a covenant in marriage and you have to be ready to honor that when you get married. And when in Ephesians 5, it says you become one flesh. Yes, that is an allusion to like, you're going to have sex with each other. But also think about this. If you are one flesh with another person, wouldn't you want to take care of your own body? wouldn't you want to make sure that it's provided for? Because when you're growing up, you're probably not the one scheduling doctor's appointments for yourself. How many of you guys, never mind, don't, don't raise your hands. A lot of us still have not scheduled a doctor's appointment for ourselves. I'm almost 30, and I just go to urgent care. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I haven't seen a legit, like, doctor since I was living with my mom and dad, like, I was just like, oh, I'm sick. So you wait it out as long as you can. And then finally, somebody is like, maybe it's your roommate who kind of takes on that role. Like, you look like death just knocked you upside of the head with a stick. Go to urgent care. And you're like, no, I'm fine. I've only thrown up three times today. Like, oh, like, go to the doctor. There is this bond when you enter into marriage where you're taking care of that person no matter what because they are the same as you they are one flesh with you and if if you don't currently take care of your own body or you don't take care of yourself to an extent then then you are not ready for marriage i run into people all the time who are like i am in love and i'm ready to get married and i'm like you are in love and you are not ready to get married because when you can't provide for yourself, when you can't, can't take care of yourself, how are you going to take care of this other person? How are you going to take care of this other life who relies on you and who trusts that you will put them before you? That's what humility is. Marriage does not solve problems. It exposes them. Marriage does not solve problems. It exposes them. And I'm not saying that you need to be perfect to get married, right? Because like, None of us are perfect. The Bible is pretty clear about the fact that none of us are perfect. We're all sinful. We all struggle. We all fail all the time. But you need to be able to take care of yourself in, in at least some extent to be able to take care of another person. There is this, this verse in Genesis 2. So again, the first book of the Bible where it talks about and establishes gender roles. Okay? 
And for just a second, we're going to talk about this. Don't check out. Don't tune out now. But it establishes these gender roles. Um, and, and our culture doesn't really like the idea of this. And I'm not going to talk, like, I would never, ever say, like, women are supposed to be in the kitchen and men are supposed to be out in the garage or cutting the grass because I think that's a lot of garbage. And that's not at all what the Bible says. And if anyone has ever taught you that, then, like, that's not a biblical understanding of what men and women are supposed to do. Here's what this says in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. It says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man, his name was Adam, that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. And we hear that word helper, and we're like, I don't like that. That's not, that's not a good description of what we need to be. But let's break this down for a second. If you need help doing something, let's say you're building a house. I don't know why you would build a house, but let's say for a minute you're building a house. Are you going to call your six-year-old kid brother who does nothing but play Fortnite all the time? Or are you going to call a contractor with a bunch of knowledge and a bunch of tools? You're going to call the person who has the knowledge and the ability to help you do what it is that you need to do. So when God says it is not good for the man to be alone, he needs a helper. He's saying this guy cannot do it all on his own. Guys, men in the room, we are mediocre at best most of the time. I hope you can agree with me. You don't have to nod. Just like in the back of your mind, just be like, yeah. Ugh. The Bible is not anti-women. Actually, it says that a man needs help. A man needs help. And in the same way, a woman needs help. There is not like a, a better gender or a more superior gender or, or a group of people based on their, their body parts that is better at being a human than the other. Because not only are men and women different and they're created with, with different, different roles to some extent, but they are both created in the image of the living God. They are both created to reflect the character of God, his holiness, his love, his justice, his mercy, his passion, his compassion. We are created to reflect God. So it says that man is not supposed to be alone. First off, we need to be in community. So whether you have a boyfriend or a girlfriend right now, that's a little bit irrelevant. You need to have people in your corner who are taking care of you. Maybe it's a roommate who's like, hey, you're sick, go to the doctor. Maybe it's just friends who, who they can tell when something's going on. Guys, we need to have those friends. And in 2020, in the midst of, of, of COVID and quarantines and all these things, we are less connected and in less and less community than ever before. But what I see when I look around this room is I see people who are probably seeking community. And you can find it here. You can find it in the church, in the body of Christ, where people come because we love Jesus or we want to learn more about Jesus. We want to learn more about ourselves. And if you don't believe in God yet, and you're here because somebody just invited you, or, or maybe you're curious, I'm glad you're here, because if nothing else, you are going to find community here. There's a reason that you're here tonight. We need to be in community. 
And when, when God created community for Adam, because before that, there was just this one dude and a bunch of animals. And like, if you're a pet person, that's great. I'm not a pet person. I've got four cats that the people who we bought our house from just left at our house. So if you're a cat person and your living situation allows you to have cats, come talk to me before you go. Um, Cause do I have a surprise for you? But for real, there's Adam and there's these animals and he says it's not good for a man to be alone. So when he gifts him with community, he gifts him with a wife. And there's also this command in scripture, he says, be fruitful and multiply. He's telling this man and his wife to go and have sex and have children and enjoy each other's company, enjoy the relationship and the establishment between the two of you. Because we need help. We need help. When I was single, um, I would cook for myself like four times a year. That's about it. And it's usually mac and cheese from the blue box because that's the best kind of mac and cheese. But I spent all my money on food and I play guitar. So I spent a lot of money on guitar. A lot of money on guys. Oh, man. I would spend all my money on food and my hobbies and myself and stupid stuff. Like, when you go, like, and you're on Amazon, you're just kind of, like, scrolling. You're like, oh, yep, need that. Need that. Need this lazy Susan for my TV so I can look at it from different angles in my dorm room. Like, nope. I didn't go to the doctor when I was sick. I stayed up super late, and then I woke up super early for work. I wasn't taking the best care of myself. And you're just like, Ryan, you told me that I need to be able to take care of myself before I could get married. Yes, you do. Because you know what had to slowly change over the period while I was dating my now wife? I had to grow up. And I had to stop being selfish. Because why? Because Ephesians 4, 2, and 3, with all humility, bear with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. We need to be able to take care of ourselves to some extent. And when we can't, in the areas that we can't, a spouse comes in and they are capable of doing just that. If I was spending all of my money on blue box mac and cheese and McDonald's and guitar pedals, I would never have bought a house. And some of you guys are like, yeah. But owning a house is super cool because we can do whatever we want. Literally, there's a wall that we want to take out. You can't do that in your dorm room. I mean, I guess you could, but like, you're not going to like that bill when you're done. Or your parents won't, sorry. Um, no, like we, we are in this position, in this place that we've never been in before. And we thought buying a house was super far off because of the opportunities that we had. But being able to sit down with each other during quarantine and plan on a budget and stick to that budget and make wise decisions about how we spend our money and how we spend our time and who we spend it with and all those things have put us in a position to now have a home that we get to bless other people with. I'll say this, though. Um, if you are single and you want more than anything to be in a relationship, because I know that some of you guys, and Steve's going to talk about singleness next week, so definitely come back. But if you are single and you want to be in a relationship, but maybe you feel like you never will, guys, you cannot place your identity in marriage. Do not place your identity in and I will be complete when. Sometimes we start feeling like marriage is our salvation, but you are not going to like arrive 
as soon as you get married. You are not going to be complete when you get married. Because like I said earlier, it doesn't solve problems. It exposes them. God designed marriage for humans, but it wasn't to complete them. Here's why God designed and created marriage for, okay? God designed marriage so that we could have a picture of the love of God. In Scripture, in the Bible, the church, the, the group of people who love God is referred to as the bride of Christ. We are a group of people that Jesus loved so much so much that he gave his own life to save us from our own sins and from our own failures. That's what God created marriage for. God created marriage so that when we entered into this relationship, we actually got to see what it was like to put someone else first, to put them ahead of our own wants and our own desires and our own feelings and our own needs sometimes because we love them. And I love my wife with everything I've got, but I will never love her as much as Jesus loves her. She will never love me as much as Jesus loves me. But here's this really cool part. When your relationship is built on pursuing Jesus with a passion, with everything you've got, like in a full out sprint, Jesus will bring the two of you closer together and fill you with more ability and capability to love than you could ever do on your own. Marriage is not just a picture of a man and a woman who love each other. It is a picture of the gospel, of God loving his children enough to send his only son to die for them so that they could have eternal life bridging the gap between a sinful person and a perfect God. They could live with God for eternity. That's why God created marriage. When, when we got married, we, we took premarital uh, counseling from the pastor of the church that I was working at at that time. It wasn't Ecclesia. Um, and one of the things he said, and I thought it was, I still think about this, is he said, you will learn more about the gospel through getting married than anything else in your life. Because you finally get a realistic picture of what it's like to lay down yourself for someone else. And he said that, and I was like, yeah, that's good. Preach. And then six months later, and I think I shared this a couple weeks ago, the first year of our marriage sucked. It was so hard. And six months into that marriage, I remember thinking back to, I am going to learn more about the gospel through being married than anything else. And I was like, why did you have to say that? Because it was so hard. It was so hard, but it's so true. Marriage is a picture of Christ loving the church and serving his bride in every single way. That's God's design for marriage. It says in John 15, 13, it says, no greater love than this, than he who would lay down his life for his friends. Jesus doesn't just see us in the church as his bride. He sees us as his friends, the people he wants to spend time with, the people that he cares about to know our deepest fears and our greatest joys. He wants an intimate relationship between us and him. And that only happens when we pursue Jesus because if we're not pursuing Jesus, we're walking away from Jesus. There's this picture in the, in the Old Testament, this guy, his name was David, and, and David would go on to become king, but there's a story about him chasing down a lion. 
And you're like, that sounds like a terrible idea. I agree. That sounds like a terrible idea. But think about the pursuit. The pursuit. You are running with everything you've got. You cannot worry about being tired. You cannot worry about being exhausted. You cannot worry about the fear that might hold you back. You have to run in pursuit of Jesus. And when we do that, he will bring us into a greater joy than marriage or a wife or a husband or a boyfriend or girlfriend alone could ever bring us. Because marriage was not supposed to just be me and her. It was supposed to be us united to the God who created us. Jesus offered up everything for the ones that he loved. Paul also teaches in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 that if you are married, if you are married, you should live like those who are not married. Because when you are not married, when you are not in a relationship, there should not be a distraction from you to God. And as soon as you get married, like I said, if, if my wife, like I need to serve my wife and sometimes I need to pay attention to and focus on the commitment that I've made to her and that can be a distraction from serving the Lord. Paul says, if you are married, live as the unmarried. And the implication here is that you are devoted to God. If you are married, you need to make sure that you are continually devoted to God. Because if you're not, things can fall apart very quickly. Because if the thing that unites you the most is a relationship with Jesus Christ, if that starts to fall apart, then the biggest connection that you have with your, with your husband or with your wife starts to fall apart. But marriage is not the thing that completes you. It's a covenant. It's a promise. It's being devoted to one another and to the Lord. The Bible talks about a, a cord of three strands is not easily broken. There's, there's a husband and a wife and the Lord. And there's, there's a bond there that's important and it's valuable. And God gives us that picture because it is the best way that we will understand what his love for us is like. God's design for marriage the ultimate goal is not that we will know each other, but the ultimate goal is that we will know God more. He will be what sustains us. He will provide for us. He will satisfy us. He offers us this covenant called marriage ultimately to make us holy, a term that is designated only for God because he is perfect. He is holy, and he loves you. And that's why you're here tonight. Whether you realize it or not, you are here tonight hearing me talk about marriage because God loves you enough to give you marriage, but to give you marriage as a picture of his own love for you.